0: Hello and welcome to the first of the Soil Nutrient Network meetings here at Kirkton Farm, thanks to the Farm Advisory Service funding. Um, the host farmer here is Scott Campbell, um, who's the current farmer weekly Arable Farmer of the Year. Scott, can you tell us a bit about the farm?
1: Yeah, I'm the, um, the fourth generation of uh, Campbell's farming here at Kirkton. Uh, we've got three farms in Aberdeenshire, we've got uh, the main Kirkton, the hub of the business and we've also got a Whearton four miles away and we've got a farm at Otterless Less as well. Uh, recently we've uh, been a bit of contract farming between 50 and 70 hectares. We um, used to be um, a mixed farm of livestock, Hereford cattle, shorthorn, Suffolk's, sheep, potatoes, we stopped that to save um, cost and labour, and we are now all arable with lots of other diversification uh, projects on. Uh, the main cropping on the farm it's uh, you know spring barley for local markets for malting. Uh, we grow three varieties to spread risk in the market. Uh, we also grow uh, winter crops of winter barley, winter wheat, and a break crop in the rotation of oilseed rape. Uh, recently oilseed rape hasn't been stacking up so we've been cutting back the acreages of that and we've got into our new uh, EECS environmental scheme, growing uh, 20 hectare of green manure so we can get wheat in after the green manure is an option so we're always looking at new options to improve our rotation as well so that's just a little bit about the history of the farm and what we're, we're currently doing cropping wise.
0: Thank you. Scott you also doing a lot of mintel here. Can you tell us a bit about that?
1: Yeah, we started, we've been doing mintil for nearly over 10 years, um, just on, on certain fields. So we started it because of the, there was a lot of stones and it was bad for the plough. And uh, more recently we've actually been seeing it's a better technique of establishment as well. You know, we've had, um, we've had um, seep it out onto farms doing the testing and inspections and. A lot of the things we're looking at was uh, water runoff. Uh, we bought a Tirano cultivator last year and we changed a power harrow drill, which was costly to run, to a horse-trailed pronto drill. It's uh, making a more of an old-fashioned seedbed with slightly more clods to save soil erosion. Um, the mint till yields of the wheat have been really good and in some cases even better than the ploughing because we haven't seen this uh, soil runoff as well. Um, but with Brexit coming and Uh, Glyphosate may be banned. Uh, We're not getting rid of the plough. We still need the still need the plough as well.
0: Thank you. Um, We've just been out in the field looking at the difference between some of the ploughed land and the the min tilled land. Um, If I can introduce uh, SAC uh, Senior Consultant uh, Gavin Elvick. Gavin, can
2: you tell us any things you've noticed in the differences when we were doing the soil pits? What are the so the main difference I noticed was with the between the mintill and the plowed system, was that the soil in the mintill was a lot drier than the adjacent plot which had been plowed. Um, we were just thinking that the surface was probably a bit looser and therefore held on to a lot more of the water, whereas the the mintill was a bit more friable and allowed it to drain better. Okay. Um. You also had a fancy bit of kit called a pin. It was a penetrometer. We were using it, it is to look at the ideal as you walk across the field and you're testing for identifying compaction layers in the soil. It was quite interesting to note that while we expect there was a slight compaction difference at the base of each of the cultivation layers, it was negligible um, and the main uh, compaction layer was actually just when you hit the subsoil in the uh, below the topsoil so this year looks like it's both systems have put in the crop at uh, pretty good conditions and there's no issues really which we could notice with a penetrometer which the use of which is ideal it's quick you can walk across fields and identify types of compaction the depth of the compaction and whether you probably need to do something about it you also take at the same time you take a spade along with you and once you've identified a bit of compaction then you can dig it up and just see what the issue is, is it a plough pan, is it a cultivation plant or has it just been an unfortunate uh, seeding or during a wet period and we've just got a surface capping. Thank you.
0: Is there any other bits of kit you think we should be taking? Because I believe the penetrometer is quite expensive.
2: The penetrometer is quite expensive, if you're looking for a cheap and cheerful uh, way then just a small uh, metal rod uh, with a, a T-handle welded along the top will do the same job. You get Once you've used it for a while you soon get a feel for the how it, pushing it through the soil in an even manner you'll pick up compaction layers and you can just pull it out and you can see the depth that the compaction layer is and that compared to a 300 pound piece of kit you've got something maybe for 10 pounds. So.
0: Yes. And Scott, you're obviously trying to reduce passes uh, in cultivations, um, could you tell us a bit about your, um, the
1: way you, you roll the land here? Yeah, um, we've gone um, for a controlled traffic uh, farming approach, um, we've fitted uh, auto steer onto one of the tractors, the main tractor that does uh, the drilling. And now with the drill, we've got that trap very adaptable. The drill can be taken off within 10 minutes. Uh, previously, our old drill used to take about two hours to take off. So we've seen more utilisation of the machinery that we've got on the farm. And the, the rollers have got the um, 14.3 metre Dalbo rollers with uh, snowflake rings. Uh, snowflake rings are great hardier ring. It doesn't shatter on a stone. It's quite stony here. But going back to the controlled traffic farming what we're doing with the rollers is coming up the tram line so the tractor wheels going up the hill they're going up the tram line of the field and only going down one pass in the middle of the field uh, always going downhill and the sort of 14.3 meter rollers is fitting in with our 28 uh, meter tram lines uh, other people in the area have seen benefits of this and have gained some uh, contracting work and as I said previously, with less staff on farms, it's uh, really seeing the benefits.
2: Good, good.
1: Having
0: seen the crop today, we noticed the difference that there was a lot more trash on the, the Mintel land. Have you had any differences in uh, fertiliser pesticide
1: applications? Slugs isn't a major problem here. Uh, we've been on uh, with slug pellets over the whole lot, uh, one application. Uh, thankfully, that's done it enough uh, at the moment. Um, we will be controlling and monitoring brome, it's a horrible weed up here, um, we'll be looking at uh, brome and we can take that out with uh, Broadway Star or Monolith, I've been doing my um, the bits next to the fence and some headlands as, as well, uh, but so far the two crops have received the same seed rate, same seeds per square metre, same fertiliser and same weed control. Uh, the thing I don't want to do is um, with with till is put my chemical costs up to take the mechanical costs down. Uh, so I'm studying that as well. So I think this field that we've done half and half will be a useful experiment throughout the year. Yeah,
0: no, I would agree. The crop looks great here today. So uh, all credit to you, Scott. Thank you. Okay, thank you. So one of our other speakers here today was David Ross, uh, regional manager of the North East and a soil health specialist. David, can you, can you tell us a bit about the importance of soil analysis?
3: Yeah, so in any, in any farming system, um, soil analysis is critical to, to, to your business and how you use the nutrients that you've got on the farm and how you make the most of of uh, the inorganic and organic fertilizers that you're using. So um, there's a few different ways that that, that can be done. Um, but certainly uh, looking at, at GPS sampling uh, now is, is commonplace on, on a lot of farms uh, in the northeast. Uh, and there's a few different uh, types of techniques that can be used for that. So so trying to tackle pH is probably your, your first uh, main area that you need to look at. Um, and looking at the type of sampling that's done, uh, whether that be uh, one per hectare or, or sort of four per hectare, uh, we tend to find that the four per hectare is a bit more accurate um, and that you're able to make corrections to the field better. There's also uh, a higher sampling density, so you'll be able to use that uh, uh, to your advantage in, in correcting some of those issues. Um, when you're looking at phosphate and potash, uh, we tend to look at zoning those because it's a lot more expensive to analyse, and it's also, um, it's also less variable within the fields. Uh, and once you've got it corrected, once you've got it to the targets you're looking for, so, so, so a moderate uh, status, uh, then you can just uh, be replacing the off-tape that's coming from your plants uh, from your crops. And it doesn't really matter when that is corrected, as long as within one full cycle of the rotation uh, that, that, that those are, are, uh, are corrected. and By putting on things like uh, mucks and slurries and, and, and hen pen, it can uh, bring a lot of phosphate and potash back into the system and help, and help correct some of that issues.
0: Okay, thank you very much, David. You mentioned some of the benefits of getting the pH correct and uh, GPS can help re- uh, make big savings there or make savings there. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Uh,
3: yeah, th- so, so there's obviously an additional cost to, to actually complete uh, completing, uh, doing the sampling and the analysis, but, but what we found is that, that uh, we are able to reduce the amount of, of lime over time. We're able to reduce the amount of lime that's being applied and we're able to put the lime in the correct place so that it is not uh, making areas uh, either too high or uh, or not high enough on pH and um, Scott's seen it here but we've also seen it in trials that we've done when we've looked at um, farms that have been analysed in year one and then come back and looked at it and analysed in year five and we're seeing a reduction in the amount of, P in, of low pHs and high pHs. So we're tightening the spread eh, or the variability in the pH eh, more, or closer to the 5.8 to 6.2 that, eh, that we would be, be looking for. Eh, and we're always usually lining to 6.2 eh, in that case because it is getting rid of some of the variability that we are eh, finding within the soil by using eh, GPS. Scott, would you be we are
0: attempting to agree with David that you're seeing these benefits coming now that you've been doing GPS so yes Yes,
1: uh, we've looked into it in some detail. It was one thing when we started doing GPS, we didn't want to do it just because our neighbours were doing it. And we've done a few experiments of uh, doing the old W, walking the field as a W format uh, and uh, GPS. And then every field, it's got its own story, its own scenario. Um, but the verdict is with lime rising in price, I mean, the calcium limestone delivered here would be about £29 a tonne, and you can quickly put a tonne in the wrong place. In the experiment I did in a a 13 hectare field, I mean, I was saving £58 per hectare on lime, you know, the W format was coming as a pH of 5.9, but looking at the headlands and gateways, there were some bits at 6.7, I think 6.4, a lot at 6.3. It was only about a third of the field that was actually neem lime, so by using this technology we've seen vast savings in certain fields. Other fields we haven't seen quite so much of a benefit, but um, certainly I would be continuing to to map the fields um, using a a grid pattern or um, other variable techniques of doing the lime.
0: I you're think the, the, di- the
1: difference is between the saving and the. In some
3: fields, you won't see a saving because it's needing that input to correct it. Um, but hopefully, over time, as you go through that, that um, cycle of sampling, you'll be able to see the benefit in years to come. And the maps that they produce, you've mentioned tell a story. Do you want to tell us a bit about that? So, yeah, there, there's two main types of maps that are produced. Uh, the uh, the kind of l- logarithmic uh, sort of nice wavy lines within the fields that show the variability uh, in pH, but um, how that is calculated through a, a logarithmic calculation. So if our point A is at six and, and point B is it is at six point five, then halfway between them is going to be is going to be six point two five, six point three. So it is um, it, there's no there's no Definitive way that that is that is worked out. It's just a calculation. Whereas, if you're sampling on a grid type system, um, on on quarter hectare samples, especially you're sitting at the uh, forty eight samples per hectare, uh, which are pooled to, correct, to 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 analyse four samples, but, um, you're getting a far, uh, far more accurate, um, map produced, and um, because of the large amounts of sampling and. When you look at how lime is, is variable, it's usually due to how it's been applied in the past or um, what type of soil type or due to um, soil um, previous cropping, so so being able to do that you can see that um, by doing a grid system you're able to handle that type of variability which is mainly, mainly from um, uh, application error one way or another.
0: There was a question from the floor, uh, one of the farmers today, asking about calcipril. Do you want to mention, is there a place for that at all?
3: Yeah, calcipril is a product that can be used within a within a system. Um, it, it, it's a good product to try and hold a pH or to try and, um, if you've got a problem, I, I see it as a fire brigade product to be able to help you in a situation, but... If you were to try and raise a pH uh, through using calciprol, uh, I think it would be cost prohibitive and that actually applying ground limestone would be a far, uh, far more cost effective uh, way of, of doing that.
1: The um, soil mapping is, is recommended, David, at a period of between five to six years because it's about 26 pounds a hectare roughly depending on how many samples to do. The mapping and um, but the difficult part for me in a sandy loam soil uh, the college recommend you know applying lime every two to three years so if i'm sampling in year one and then a year five apart from calci prills what other elements or what can i do to maintain my lime up because i couldn't justify getting soil or soil essentials in every three years and um, to do mapping yeah. i mean if- once you've got
3: your soil results, you 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 can you you're now able to kind of see how much your pH is dropping. So I think uh, I think you said about not point or a pH yes. unit uh-huh. it's uh-huh. dropping each year. So you could use that to kind of predict how, how a pH is going to move. So if we're applying and we're sampling and applying in year one, uh, it's going to take. So- a year to eighteen months for that lime to come through so fully or to be fully available in the soil, fully working soil. So it's then again in year three, you could then say right, uh, we could try and predict what we've done so we can say right we've we've applied this amount of lime so we've raised the pH from X to Y but but the crops taken out Z so we've now knocked it back a bit and we could say right we actually need to put another blanket apply a ton here and then at year five or six then go back in and resample again if you want to try and maintain that pH up to that sort of level but depending on your rotation and where you're at okay the barleys are really going to benefit from that pH. Wheat isn't is going to benefit that less so so if that depending on where that is within your rotation as to when you're applying the line you might be able to Um, not get away with it, but you're able to manage it.
0: Is there a best time to apply lime, or a set point in the rotation, or maximum quantity that you should be applying?
3: Well, the rules that I always work to, as far as maximum quantity, two ton to the hectare, five ton to the acre. eh, Sorry, two ton to the acre, five ton to the hectare, is is about the maximum that you should eh, you should be applying in one sitting. it really depends on your rotation. The, the guys that I have with potatoes in the rotation, eh, we will always sample pre eh, prior to potatoes with the aim of applying lime post potatoes, eh, ready for the wheat. Not the wheat will benefit slightly, but the following crop of spring barley probably will will have the biggest benefit. Eh, the benefit from it. Eh, we'll always try and apply it on the top of the crop if we can um or a top of the cultivations just to let that wash down through the profile and get the maximum uh, maximum benefit from it.
0: Thank you, David. After your talk we went out into the field and we dug a few soil pits um and you want to say a bit about uh, the soil health test
3: that you've been developing? Yeah so so a SEC consultant, we now have a a soil health test which which really looks at the three elements of of soil health it looks at the biology, it looks at the chemical analysis nutrient analysis and it looks at the uh, structure as well so we've got uh, as far as the chemical element, we're looking at uh, pH, NPK, magnesium. we'll look at Soil organic matter, and we look at potential mineralizable nitrogen, eh, which is a proxy sort of a test to be able to to get an idea how how active the biological community in the soil is. So um, the biology is really important in, nitri- in the nitrogen cycle. So if that if the biology is there and they are working hard, they're producing more nitrogen, which we can measure, eh, which produces a higher figure. For a potential mineralizable nitrogen, so we did some tests here, and um, I think the stuff, Scott stuff, some were sitting between sort of twenty seven and thirty one roughly, um, So anything over around about thirty or thirty above is actually quite a good score, um, uh, It shows that there is there is biology in the soil, and it shows that they are working breaking down, a uh, carbon breaking down organic matter and releasing nitrogen as part of that, so. So we we'll look at that, and then we also look at uh, do a visual assessment uh, a soil structure, uh, which
2: uh, Garvin can maybe see a wee bit more about. Right, uh, we were looking. Uh, we dug a few test bits and looked at the uh, initially a compacted area up at the top of the field uh, on adjacent to the gra- grass plots. Which had been uh, run over f- for a fair bit, um, and it was quite interesting to see that the initial compaction was in the in the top uh, fifty to hundred millimeters, which was uh, impacting on the grasses' roots' ability to to fully uh, grow through the the whole profile. With you, you get the most of the roots in the top hundred millimeters, and they gradually got less and less. There was some roots down to. 200 millimetres 250 millimetres but they were few and far between because of the compact layer initially that they had to fight their way through we discussed the benefit of the the when you're looking for us you d- dig a soil pit and you take out a, a a slice of soil you're looking to try and make sure that you're the cracks in the soil are up mainly vertical so that it encourages the roots to go down and you're looking through the the vest score which is the visual uh, examination of soil structure is a simple test to just look at the the soil and see how it's broken up and its clods and particulates, just to see how it it breaks up, how easy it is. It's a simple system. You can assess it from one one being very good to five being probably terrible. We identified in the compacted areas the of the field. Uh, they were about three to four whereas we went down into the, the areas that were sown with the winter wheat and it was quite interesting to note that they were all even the plowed system and the mintel system you were looking at one one uh, vesco or very good uh, uh, particle uh, breakdown and uh, aggregates uh, sizes on the, on the, the pit. We
0: saw a few different changes. We saw a few different changes in this in the soil you mentioned the compaction layer in the the grass area Mm -hmm. would there be anything you could do to minimize compaction in those areas or Mm -hmm. or the the deeper compaction you noticed in some of the the The, the, cultivated
2: soils the main uh, you can look at the compaction the the compaction in the grassland was probably due to just uh, working it during the the cold uh, wet weather and you've, you've just more or less sealed the surface layer we'll be looking to take that out you could possibly spike it or go over it with a, a sword lifter uh, in the field you have to if it was for silage you would have to watch because one of the issues in it um captain here we're on quite a the Countesswell well soil series which is quite stony and if you go over with a sword lifter you have a habit of pulling stones to the surface which can end up uh, getting into the silage and breaking blades and on the, the mowers. Um, the de- deeper compaction I would be limiting, unless you've gravel backfill drains that you could subsoil at a reasonable depth, can make making sure that most of your um, soil loosening at the deeper compaction was either done with a, a shallow uh, subsoiler or, or sward lifter type machine down to maybe 300, 400 millimeters, no more because then you're just loosening the, the topsoil layer, you don't want to be breaking up the, the subsoil because one of the issues of the current soil subsoil here is it's very naturally compacted and has a large stone content so you end up causing a lot of uh, cost for your uh, tractor and everything to try and pull a subsoiler through that uh, subsoil and also the amount of stone you would bring to the surface.
0: Yes. I've heard enough. A lot that worms are very important, and when we did the soil health checks on the fields here, Scott, we found quite a lot of worms. About nine, ten for the little dig plots that we did.
3: Is that good, David? Yeah, I mean, uh, worms is a really good way. I sort of, of being able to to get a visual on how healthy your soils are. Uh, they're 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 quite high up the the kind of food rank in within the soil. So. Um, one of the interesting things, and it is part of the soil health test, is to try and look at the amount of worms that there is there, uh, and when we did the test digs here today, um, on the compacted soil we found, well we didn't find any worms well, at all. I found one. Yeah, very very few worms that there was within it, so and when we went down to the the ploughed and the, the, plough the Mint area, we are finding nine, ten worms within a Within a fairly small area, so, I mean, the ability that they've got, um, the ability that they've got is to, to be able to create up porosity within the soil, uh, just by the amount of uh, uh, holes that they create as they as they work their way through. I mean, there's different worms do different things, and and there's some that they'll that'll work vertically through the soil profile, and there's some that'll will, will work horizontally through the soil profile, um, and they're really good at scavenging. Uh, bits of organic matter from the, the the surface of the soil and pulling that down into this to the uh, into the profile to be sort of digested by the rest of the uh, the, the biology that there is uh, that there is in the soil so so yeah when we're looking at the soil health test when we're digging our sort of 25 by 25 meter uh, sorry centimeter square um uh, a hole we're looking at sort of if there's anything above eight worms within that then then that's that's quite a good uh, quite a good score to look for for the worms
0: okay now well that sounds
1: that sounds like your soil's in good health then um, scott. and scott yeah that's good i was looking um another thing like i do all the spraying and liquid nitrogen with the sprayer and if i've got on the wide tires for example putting on back end manganese or something on the wheat you go into the plowed area after the rain and it'll still be quite slimy and you go on to the mintel, and it'll be a lot firmer. And a lot of that maybe David is to do with the with the worms drying out the the soil. Yeah, I mean, the soil should
3: have the ability to take a lot more uh, water than it does at the moment. I think I think, especially this year, when you're looking around the countryside, there is a lot of fields that are struggling to cope with the amount of water that we've got, and and in a mintel and. Or, or a no till situation that the soil should have the ability to restructure in such a way that 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 water can infiltrate down through the through the soil profile. Um, yeah, and and, and increase in organic matter for every for every one percent increase in organic matter, soil can take another inch of rain, can hold another inch of rain. So, it is, it's really important and and, and Trying to create that porosity within the soil to be able to cope with the, the type of weather events that we seem to be, to be getting in this part of the world now. Mm-hmm.
0: And where recent soil health checks here showed that this soil organic matter here in the cultivated field, the cottage field was about seven
3: to eight percent. Would that be a reasonable level? Do you think, David? I think, uh, I think it's pretty good. I've seen um, I've seen soil organic matter levels vary from uh, a couple of percent. Uh, in the more arable areas up to you can get into the teens in in permanent pasture um trying to get that organic matter there is is a slow process and, and just by that that permanent pasture being there has certainly helped. By using things like cover crops um and and trying to, to keep the soil alive we can we can build that help build that amount of um build that amount that organic
1: matter that there is that there is happening. Yeah, yeah. That sits in exactly what you were saying, David, our lowest organic matter is around about four percent up on the hills side at Weerton and our highest, as I've seen, is about twelve to fifteen percent of organic matter. So we're trying to target farmyard manure and green green manure to these to these fields to try and, if anything, maintain it to not let it slip because organic matter i've heard somebody took nearly 50 years to get it up about one and a half percent is that matching with your kind yeah, of figure yeah i think
3: it's a it, raising organic organic matter by if you wanted to raise it five percent it's it's a lifetime's work yeah it's a lifetime's work
0: you've got an agri-environment climate change scheme on the farm here can you tell us a bit about what you've uh, all doing for that scheme? I believe yeah. you've
1: got some green cover crops. Yeah, we went for a number of, of options. Um, We went to put in more grass margins, we put in uh, water margins next to the burn to try and save uh, soil erosion to, for, so the water margin would, would uh, hold that runoff and not let it go into ditches. And uh, also the the main change that the EECS scheme has given to the farm is the green manure cover crops that we've seen 20 I mean, it's been a great experience to grow a new crop uh, in the farm here Um, that was planted in May. It's um, a mix of oil, radish, vetch, phacelia, crimson clover, uh, some oats in it as well. And we grow that right through until the 15th of August when we can then mulch it down, uh, hopefully before it sets seed because we don't want it to uh, be a weed and a pest for the next crop. And then we we'll plough it in and then we can get wheat in after the green cover crop and it's a fantastic option because with oilseed rape um, the margin not stacking up we've dropped our area of oilseed rape but then that comes a problem because your wheat area comes down and wheat's nearly one of our best paying crops so this green cover has given all the option uh, for that as well the other option we went through the eek scheme was uh, wild bird seed uh, which the local shooters seen a vast um, increase in wildlife as well so know it's really good for the farm
0: good good Gavin you've been doing some work on green cover crops do you want to tell us a bit about all the
2: different types of green cover crops and, and, yeah, and the yeah, trials that you've been we'll, doing on your we'll own do, farm we've been doing some work um, with the Orst and Charitable Trust looking at different mixes of uh, green manures we've started in 2017 with the first one and we did uh, three lots of simple uh, three-way mixes, which was quite interesting, we, we uh, identified the ones that produced the most um, mat- green matter to plough down, and it was a good year for them, uh, and I think the best crop was putting back about 110 tonnes to the hectare of uh, wet weight of green manure, which it turned out I think it was about 40 tonnes of dry matter you were ploughing back down with an equivalent uh, the measure of the nitrogen it was 276 kilograms per hectare of nitrogen that was taken back into the into the organic nitrogen back into the soil which would be released into the, the following crops in the following crop we identified that the the we were getting a yield increase compared to the control field which we u- the control field we used was one adjacent to the, the green manures and, and it's probably, reckoned reckon, to be the best field on the farm and the deepest soil, so that's what we thought if we can outperform it in, on the, the green manure fields, which were chosen because they were probably f- the problem fields on the farm. We turned out that uh, fields, the uh, one field with its three plots were was in the region of 9.4 tonnes to hectare of spring barley um, and the other... Uh, field was 9.1 tons to the hectare, whereas, and the control field was 8.1. So roughly approximating a, a tonne to the hectare uh, more yield on that year. Um, we haven't had the results back of the current, the current year's uh, benefit, but it, it doesn't look as well because the dry year in 2018, the green manures, they were sown in May and they didn't come forward as well like a lot of crops that year because of the lack of moisture um, but they still had a benefit to the soil structure. We found it quite, quite impressive that the, the rooting of some of the ones like chicory, oilseed radish, um, red clover, all had a fantastic benefit to the, the soil structure and areas in, in the, one of the fields that in previous years when sowing with spring barley you'd end up a very sparse crop and it would just looked, you couldn't identify it from the rest of the field To, to it loosened up the soil and helped the, the soil um, improve. So we're, we're looking at it, it's been better, but as uh, Scott was saying, you have to watch for carryover because this year, um, <clears throat> the 2017 field was back into the to new, three new plots in the same place. Um, but there was a carryover of mustard and oilseed radish in two of the plots from the previous from the 2017 crop and you would you had wall-to-wall uh, of these two uh, crop elements and you wouldn't have believed that they weren't actually sown in the mix at all. So
0: yeah. The yield benefits sound impressive and I suppose the key question is, is it economic? Is it worthwhile doing?
2: I think in the long run you've got to look at it more than just pure e- economics, you look at the benefits of Potential disease reduction, soil improvement, and weed suppression. That is one of the things we've we've identified. Um, the the weeds. You've hardly any um, weed growth under the green manures, um, and it the the main problem the following crop is the. the the self-seeded green manure tends to be the, the follow-on weeds. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's But they're rel- in a conventional system, they're rel- relatively easy removed. It might be different if you're looking in an organic system. So.
3: Okay.
0: Thank you very much, guys. I think that's been very informative. The right. next meeting of the Soil Nutrient Network meeting should be early March or late February, depending on the weather and when we get speakers gathered together. Thank you.